Part three of the Epilogue of Cleek, the Man of the Forty Faces. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Cleek, the Man of the Forty Faces by Thomas W. Hanshew. Epilogue, Part three. Thrice during the next twenty four hours, Cleek, who seemed to have become so attached to the mongrel dog that he kept it under his arm continually, had reason to leave the house. And thrice was he seized by Madame's henchman, bundled unceremoniously into a convenient room, and searched to the very skin before he was suffered to pass beyond the threshold. And if so much as a pin had been hidden upon his person, it must have been discovered. "'You see, monsieur, how hopeless it is,' said the Count despairfully. One dare not rebel, one dare not lift a finger, or the woman speaks and his majesty's ruin falls. Oh, the madness of that boast of yours! Only another twenty-four hours, only another day, and then God help his majesty. God has helped him a great deal better than he deserves, Count, replied Cleek. By tomorrow night at ten o'clock, be in the square of the Aquisola, please. Bring with you the passports of Madame and her companions, also a detachment of the Royal Guards, and His Majesty's cheque for the reward I am to receive. Monsieur, you really hope to get the things? You really do? Oh, I do more than hope, Count. I have succeeded. I knew last night where both Pearl and Letter were. Tomorrow night... Ah, well, let tomorrow tell its own tale. Only be in the square at the hour I mention, and when I lift a lighted candle and pass it across the salon window, send the guard here with the passports. Let them remain outside, within sight, but not within range of hearing what is said and done. You are alone to enter. Remember that. To receive the jewel and the letter? Eagerly. Or at least to have you point out the hiding-place of them? No, we should be shot down like dogs if I undertook a mad thing like that. And, monsieur, how are we to seize them? How get them into our possession, his majesty and I? From my hand, Count. This hand which held them both before I went to bed last night. Monsieur! The Count fell back from him as if from some supernatural presence. "'You found them? You held them? You took possession of them last night? How did you get them out of the house?' "'I have not done so yet.' "'But can you? Oh, monsieur, wizard though you are, can you get them past our guards? Can you, monsieur, can you?' "'Watch for the light at the window, Count.' It will not be waived unless it is safe for you to come, and the pearl is already out of the house. And the letter, monsieur? The damning letter? Cleek smiled one of his strange, inscrutable smiles. Ask me that tomorrow, Count, he said. You shall hear something, you and madame, that will surprise you both. Then twisted round on his heel and walked hurriedly away. And all that day and all that night he danced attendance upon Madame, and sang to her, and handed her bedroom candle to her, as he had done the night before, 
and gave back jest for jest, and returned her merry badinage in kind. Nor did he change in that when the fateful to-morrow came. From morning to night he was at her side, at her beck and call, doing nothing that was different from the doings of yesterday, save that at evening he locked the mongrel dog up in his room instead of carrying him about. And the dog, feeling its loneliness, or possibly famishing, for he had given it not a morsel of food since he found it, howled and howled until the din became unbearable. "'Monsieur, I wish you would silence that beast or else feed it,' said Madame pettishly. "'The howling of the wretched thing gets on my nerves. Give it some food for pity's sake.' "'Not I,' said Cleek. "'Do you remember what I said, Madame? I am getting it hungry enough to eat one or perhaps all of Clopin's wretched little parakeets. "'You think they have to do with the hiding of the paper or the pearl, cher ami, eh?' "'I am sure of it. He would not carry the beastly little things about for nothing.' "'Ah, you are clever, you are very, very clever, monsieur,' she made answer with a laugh. "'But he must begin his bird-eating quickly, that nuisance dog, or it will be too late.' See, it is already half-past nine. I retire to my bed in another hour and a half, as always. And then your last hope he is gone, sick, like that. For it will be the end of the second day, monsieur, and your promise not yet kept. Pestilence, monsieur, with a little outburst of temper. Do stop the little beast's howl, it is unbearable. I would you to sing to me like last night, but the noise of the dog is maddening. Oh, if it annoys you like that, madame, said Cleek, I'll take him round to the stable and tie him up there, so we may have the song undisturbed. Your men will not want to search me, of course, when I'm merely popping out and popping in again like that, I'm sure. Nevertheless, they did— for although they had heard and did not stir when he left the room and ran up for the dog, when he came down with it under his arm and made to leave the house, he was pounced upon, dragged into an adjoining apartment by half a dozen burly fellows, stripped to the buff and searched, as the workers in a diamond mine are searched, before they suffered him to leave the house. There was neither a sign of a pearl nor a scrap of a letter to be found upon him, they made sure of that before they let him go. "'An enterprising lot, those lackeys of yours, madame,' he said, when he returned from tying the dog up in the stable, and rejoined her in the salon. "'It will be an added pleasure to get the better of them, I can assure you.' "'We, oui, if you can,' she answered, with a mocking laugh. Clopin, cher ami, your poor little parakeets are safe for the night, unless monsieur grows desperate and eats them for himself. Even that, if it were necessary to get the pearl, madame, said Cleek, with the utmost sang-froid. Faugh! looking at his watch, a good twenty minutes wasted by the zealousness of those idiotic searchers of yours. Ten minutes to ten. Just time for one brief song. Let us make hay while the sun lasts, madame, for it goes down suddenly in Mauravania, and for some of us it never comes up again. 
Then, throwing himself upon the piano seat, he ran his fingers across the keys and broke into the stately measures of the national anthem. And of a sudden, while the song was yet in progress, the clock in the corridor jingled its musical chimes and struck the first note of the hour. He jumped to his feet and lifted both hands above his head. Moravania! he cried. Oh, Moravania! For you! For you! Then jumped to the mantelpiece and catching up a lighted candle, flashed it twice across the window's wits and broke again into the national hymn. Monsieur! cried out Madame. Monsieur, what is the meaning of that? Have you lost your wits? You give a signal. For what? To whom? To the guards of Mauravania's king, madame, in honour of his safe escape from you, he made reply, then twitched back the window curtains until the whole expanse of glass was bared. Look, do you see them? Do you, madame? His Majesty of Mauravania sends Madame Sharnovetsky a command to leave his kingdom, since he no longer has cause to fear a wasp whose sting has been plucked out. Her swift glance flashed to the fireplace, then to the corner where Clopin still sat with his jabbering parakeets, then flashed back to Cleek, and she laughed in his face. I think not, monsieur, she said with a swaggering air. Truly, I think not, my excellent friend. What a pity you only think so, madame. As for me, ah, welcome, count, welcome a thousand times. The paper, my friend, you have brought it? Good, give it to me. Madame, your passport, yours and your associates. You leave Mauravania by the midnight train, and you have but little time to pack your effects. Your passport, madame, and your bedroom candle. Oh, yes, the paper is still round it, see? Slipping off a sheet of notepaper that was wrapped round the full length of the candle from top to bottom. But if you will examine it, madame, you will find it is blank. I burned the real letter the night before last when I put this in its place. You what? she snapped, then caught the tube-shaped covering he had stripped from the candle, uncurled it, and screamed. Blank, madame, quite blank, you see, said Cleek serenely. For one so clever in other things, you should have been more careful. A little pinch of powder in the punch at dinner time, just that, and on the first night, too. It was so easy afterward to get into your room, remove the real paper, and wrap the candle in a blank piece while you slept. You, you dog! she snapped out viciously. You drugged me? Yes, madame, you and the one-eyed man as well. Oh, don't excite yourself. Don't pull at the poor wretch like that. The glass eye will come out quite easily, but I assure you there is only a small lump of beeswax in the socket now. 
I removed the rainbow pearl from poor Monsieur Clopin's blind eye ten minutes after I burnt the letter, madame, and it passed out of this house to-night. A clever idea to pick up a one-eyed pauper, madame, and hide the pearl in the empty socket of the lost eye. But it was too bad you had to supply a glass eye to keep it in, after the lid and the socket had withered and shrunk from so many years of emptiness. It worried the poor man, madame. He was always feeling it, always afraid that the lump behind would force it out. And what is an added misfortune for your plans, the glass shell did not allow you to see the change when the pearl vanished and the bit of beeswax took its place. Madame Charnovetsky, your passport. I know enough of the King of Mauravania to be sure that your life will not be safe if you are not past the frontier before daybreak. Monsieur le Comte, no. I thank you, but I cannot wait to be presented to His Majesty, for I too leave Mauravania tonight, and, like Madame Yonder, return to other and more promising fields, said Cleek, an hour later as he stood on the terrace of the Villa Irma and watched the slow progress down the moonlit avenue of the carriage which was bearing Madame Charnovetsky and her effects to the railway station. "'Give me the cheque, please. I have earned that, and there is good use for it. I thank you, Count. Now do an act of charity, my friend. Give the little dog in the stable a good meal.' and then have a surgeon chloroform him into a peaceful and merciful death. They will find the rainbow pearl in his intestines when they come to dissect the body. I starved him, Count, starved him purposely, poor little wretch, so that he could be hungry enough to snap at anything in the way of food and bolted instantly. Tonight, when I went up to take him out to the stable, a thick smearing of beef extract over the surface of the pearl was sufficient. He swallowed it in a gulp. For a double reason, Count, there should be a cur quartered on the royal arms of this country after tonight. His voice dropped off into silence. The carriage containing Madame had swung out through the gateway and its shadow no longer blotted the broad, unbroken space of moonlit avenue. He turned and looked far out over the square of the Aquisola, along the light-lined esplanade, to the palace gates and the fluttering flag that streamed against the sky above and beyond them. "'Oh, Mauravania,' he said, "'an Englishman's heritage,' Dear country, how beautiful! My love to your queen, my prayers for you. Monsieur, exclaimed the Count, Monsieur, what juggle is this? Your face is again the face of that other night, the face that stirs memory but does not rivet it. Monsieur, speak, I beg of you. What are you? Who are you? Cleek, he made answer. Just Cleek. It will do. 
Oh, Mauravania, dear land of desolated hopes, dear grave of murdered joys. Monsieur! Hush! Let me alone. There are things too sacred. And this... His hands reached outward as if in benediction. His face, upturned, was as a face transfigured, and something that shone as silver gleamed in the corner of his eye. Moravania, he said. Oh, Moravania, my country, my people. Goodbye. Monsieur, dear heaven, majesty. There came a rustling sound, and when Cleek had mastered himself and looked down, a figure with head uncovered knelt on one knee at his feet. "'Get up, Count,' he said with a little shaky laugh. "'I appreciate the honour, but your fancy is playing you a trick. I tell you, I never set foot in Mauravania before, my friend.' "'I know.' I know. How should you, Majesty, when it was as a child at Queen Karma's breast Mauravania last saw? Don't leave like this, Majesty, Majesty. God guard the right, the pearl and the kingdom are here. Wrong, my good friend. The kingdom is there where you found me. In England, and so too is the pearl. For there is no kingdom like the kingdom of love, no pearl like a good woman. Good night, Count, and many thanks for your hospitality. You are a little upset tonight, but no doubt you will be all right again in the morning. I will walk to the station. And alone, if it is all the same to you. Majesty! Dreams, Count, dreams. The riddle is solved, my friend. Good luck to your country. And good-bye. And setting his back to the palace and the lights and the fluttering flag, and his face to the land that held her, turned and went his way to the west, to England, and to those things which are higher than crowns, and better than scepters, and more precious than thrones and ermine. End of Cleek, The Man of the Forty Faces by Thomas W. Hanshoe